Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to this Friday edition of 1% Better. I say Friday because normally it's a Friday. Uh, Every Friday in the last year and a half or more, it's been 1% Better Friday. But last Friday, I was unable to release and we had to bump it to Monday. So this is the second episode out this week, but that's okay. I hope you're not put out by that. Uh, Hopefully you've checked out last Monday's episode with Murray Newlands, who is a guru of the marketing industry, and he's been known to be called one of the top 10 folks to know in Silicon Valley. That's kind of a nice uh, title to have. Maybe check out the episode that we shared. Lots of learnings and a lot of good 1% better messages in it around hard work, getting very focused on what you want to achieve and going after it and learning lots of stuff along the way that you didn't expect. I can completely relate to that. Did you notice anything different about the intro tonight? Any little piece of it removed? Just dawned on me about a week ago when I was listening to it, the voiceover, the lady's voiceover that I got before the whole show started, uh, I paid short, a small amount of money for, for that, but I think the, the voice is good. But I had asked her to say hi there, and it just doesn't seem to fit anymore. I don't think hi there is needed. So I just played around with it uh, there the other day and took out the hi there, and now it's just welcome. And hopefully that seems to just work better, but never noticed it properly before, and it only bugged me uh, of, of late. So uh, aside from the Murray Newlands news, something else that I'm planning to do in the near future, the 864 podcast, which I released and launched last year, uh, will be coming back. What I plan to do is re-release the episodes on this 1% Better channel, primarily because it's just easier to release on one channel, I'm finding, and the 864 being all about 15 minutes, 1% of your day and still carrying the same message of 1% better will still align on this channel. So it's just going to be easier to do that when I do release more new episodes of that over the next while. But I'm going to trickle out some of the older ones, the ones that were recorded last year. And hopefully, as this content tends to be kind of evergreen and relevant, it should still be of interest. So watch out for that in the near future. Okay, last couple of call-outs before I introduce this week's guest. I am still recording outside of the normal environment, uh, the studio, and looking forward to getting back in there. Really can't wait. I bought a new piece of kit don't know if I mentioned that last week, Rode Podcaster Pro. I'm shouting that out, not expecting to get any free gear from those guys. Paid a, quite a penny for this. But it's going to make the recording, especially of remote interviews, better, I hope. Um, but also in person as well. So looking forward to getting better sound because I'm always trying to tweak the sound, make it a little bit more clear. I know some weeks there's background noise on my side or the guest side and that bugs me but I still put it out because I don't want it to stop the content and the actual important quality of stuff coming out. And last couple of ones, more workshops, hoping to do more in person and as I mentioned before, looking at different tools to do online and I'd love to know if you're interested in signing up for an online course. Would that be something you might consider doing in how to podcast and going through some of the stuff that I have 
um, I'd like to put it on an online version. So let me know. I will take action as a result. Rob at robofthegreen.ie. So this week's guest, his name is William Pullen. And I found William through the power of the internet and more specifically the power of TED. TED Talks, William did a TED Talk around movement. Uh, Movement is medicine, I think is the title. I'll provide the link with this and the show notes. And he has a very interesting story. He lived a very fast-paced life and a very much maybe inauthentic life, as he says himself. Uh, Bad relationships, just maybe not knowing exactly who he was himself. And he hit a a breakpoint, a a midlife crisis, as he said, also himself. And from there, after a bit of a meltdown, he started to look at ways to try and get out of that depression, get out of that funk that he was in. And he took to running and to psychotherapy. And he was able to combine both of these into what he calls empathy running or dynamic running therapy. Uh, so we talked about that because I'm fascinated about wellness, not only physical, but emotional and, and mental. And this guy has gone on his own journey and he's come out the other side and he's sharing a lot about that in an authentic way. We talked about his book, which is called Run for Life. And he's another book in the works, which we talk, discuss as well, touching on authenticity. Fascinating guy. Definitely good to chat with William. Uh, I think we connected quite well and bounced some ideas off each other during the podcast. So hopefully you like it. And as always, please do help others listen, uh, share it with others. That's what's very, very important and helps me reach more than you know and helps me have an impact more than just yourself. And that's, again, another huge benefit of doing this. All right, I will hand it over to the episode with William Pullen. Thanks for checking it out. Have a great weekend, great week ahead and good luck. This time uh, we're focusing in on wellness again and probably building on some of the the topics and discussions we've had in the past. This one I'd like to focus in around therapies that that connect with running and and kind of mindfulness as well. Um, And my guest this time is William Pullen. William, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Rob. Thanks for taking the time out. I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So maybe, William, just give me give us an introduction to yourself and kind of maybe talk a little bit about what your major discussion points for today are going to be. I'm a psychotherapist. I live in London. Uh, and I, uh, I developed a kind of psychotherapy that, uh, I mean, I practice regular psychotherapy, but then I developed one on the side, which is which I've named Dynamic Running Therapy. And it's a sort of fusion of running and psychotherapy in in parks, one-on-one. And, um, yeah, I've got a book and a TEDx and an app and all that good stuff. That's that's kind of what I do. Running is my – running and and, and mental wellness is is my sort of – that's my gig. Very good. So I'm sure folks listening today will take something positive from, from this and we get a bit deeper into it. From listening to your TED Talk, I will put links to it on, on the notes here as well. It seemed as if, or from your story, that you kind of hit a, a a low point, maybe. And and maybe what were the things maybe you could talk to me about leading up to that and, and then the, the turning point around then? Hmm. Well, 
you know, I think that maybe some of your listeners who are doing jobs that they don't particularly like in sort of superficial industries. I was working in television and I'd worked in advertising before that. Just stuff that's that seems good on the outside but doesn't really feel that great on the inside. Or at least after a while it didn't to me, put it that way. Mm-hmm. And um and so, you know, I think you find yourself a little bit disconnected to what's really important in the world and maybe live quite a lot fast lifestyle. And and part of that fast lifestyle meant I, I met quite a fast woman, I suppose you could say, from a different country and a different faith and about as many differences as you could get going. But that didn't stop me from deciding that was a fantastic route to follow. And I did until it sort of finally ended in flames as uh, it was impossible to sort of reconcile all these differences, not least of all faith. Um, and, uh, and I had a bit of a meltdown, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, I ended up very depressed and sitting at home and, and about to turn 40 and really having a proper midlife crisis. And I took up running and I took up psychotherapy as sort of a desperate attempt to sort myself out the psychotherapy seemed like a natural choice um and uh, and the running i just knew that if i could get out of my flat um that would be great i mean i must say <clears throat> excuse me i was a serious um uh, a serious smoker and drink all the rest of it so it's not like i took up running lightly i uh, i was not very mobile but i was lucky to find a friend who was also going through his own story and um we just we would meet up in the park here in London in Hyde Park and sort of start off by trying to do 50 meters and the next day we try 100 meters we built it up incrementally which you know was an enormous learning curve for me as I well it was the beginning of everything that I do now really mm. those incremental improvements tie in nicely one percent better for sure what I'm interested in you say you got into that fast lifestyle taking it right back to when you were a young guy what were you what were you what were you keen to do when you grew up what was your kind of ambitions and did you get to a different place um you know i think i had two kinds of ambitions i had i had genuine ones i then in the back of my mind was actually always that i'd like to work with young people in some sort of mental health capacity and that was a sort of nicer kind of me and then there was another more i suppose aggressive masculine me that wanted success and was quite ego driven um and that you know wanted power and wanted cash and wanted that kind of lifestyle and yeah that that's the one that won out in the end won out at that time obviously you've kind of come maybe around to the original uh, interest now and that's for me that's fascinating because it's similar to myself and similar to a lot of people I talk to that have had a, a dichotomy early on and they went one direction but over time find their way back to what their original maybe interests were so just an interesting perspective so was was fitness and exercise a part of your life even in the early days or was that something that just came around at that time no i think i mean i played you know i played sport at school uh like like most people but then i hadn't done really any exercise until this meltdown so um no but it was i think it was hot wired into me i mean that's why i think 
sport and and the ability to sort of run around is so important in childhood because they remind you it's hot wired into your system and you know how good it feels to wander around fields by yourself or go for long walks or walk with others or play sport you know in your body how um healing that is but if you've never had that um then uh, then you don't have as a reference point mm. in the in the weeks and months this was leading up to the, the kind of meltdown did you have when you look back on it now did you notice kind of triggers or was there certain points where you should have saw this coming sooner were there things that you just chose to ignore <laughs> yeah no it wasn't a massive surprise you know uh a lot of it was built around bad lifestyle habits, smoking too much and whatnot, um, drinking too much, and just generally sort of allowing oneself to, to behave in a way that's just not healthy and good for the mind or soul, combined with not only a sort of physical decay, um, but a sort of, um, I think everybody will, will relate to this, uh, well, not everybody, but many people have been in this kind of relationship. When you're in a relationship where you care for somebody very much, but you can't really somehow seem to make yourself understood and the other person can't make themselves understood. But nonetheless, you keep on trying at it and you try everything you can and you sort of mold yourself into multiple different kinds of people to try to, uh, try to cross this bridge with this other person. I think each time you do that and you change shape and form, um, at the end, there's very little left of you. You know, you've, you've, sort of, you've sort of tried everything that you can, and now there's very little of the original you left. And then at that point, the whole thing breaks down. So at the point when you're least strong, you find yourself most tested. And I think that's why. Uh, and I think young people do that, not all. But young people do that sort of thing, and they understand love as being that. They understand love as being this, you know, beautiful romantic struggle that, you know, like Goethe would write about, you know, may or may not end in in in, in suicidal love, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, there's probably infatuation and all of other things kind of wrapped up in all of that. Um, I think experience probably is the is the key thing that you probably have to go through. Yeah, if we talked in, in, in generalities, which I know we're not allowed to do anymore these days, but let's assume that we could, how would we generalize the Irish attitude to love? Generalize the Irish attitude to love? Speaking in maybe outdated stereotypes, if you like. Yeah, well, I guess in the last 20 years, it's probably changed a lot. I've probably gone through, I'm 41 now myself, and... Um, love in in that perspective 20 years ago might have been meeting somebody on a night out and in a drunken fueled frenzy you know having a relationship for a number of years with that heavily involved with it um but i think with just cultural changes over the last while it it seems as if there's more of a a, a healthy perspective to it you know in that it's not all about out and drinking and alcohol very much connected to it there's there's more of a certainly a wellness connection to, to where people have relationships now because health and fitness are, are things that are, are, are very prominent in in the in the irish culture at the moment you know with the explosion of coffee shops and fitness centers and stuff there's there's more of a um an onus on that and i think 
just as an example if you were um going on a date 15 years ago in ireland it would have been to the pub um but now it, it's to starbucks uh you know and it, it seems to have changed a little bit there so maybe the early stages of relationships might build up from a, a more sober perspective as opposed to one that might be alcohol related you know yeah yeah i mean and that's a phenomenal difference isn't it mm. no absolutely and um, that's just me answering it off the cuff without having given a great thought but um, I think that wouldn't be far far from the truth now I'm sure it still happens I'm, I'm I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody that's 40 or so as opposed to somebody that's 20 but looking at that kind of generation you can see more obviously with the social media explosion and people are a lot more maybe health conscious and they're posting pictures of themselves a lot more on instagram and whatnot it seems as if that uh the mindset of going to the gym getting buffed up and fit and healthy is very important more so than it would have been maybe 20 years ago oh yeah i mean i've got a bunch of nieces and nephews and then the the nieces are the nephews rather who are, you know, teenagers, they're all in the gym there. I mean, they're massive guys. Mm. <laughs> they're like 16, 17. I wasn't in the gym when I was 16, 17. I was smoking around the back, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's not as much of that smoking around the back anymore, for sure. Um, and I think even 10 years ago in Ireland, when the smoking ban in pubs and restaurants came in, they thought that would, wouldn't would work, but it's absolutely worked. You know, it, it's, it's now kind of, crazy to think that you could smoke in there um when i find it insane to think that i mean what did we do we just sat there while people chain smoked around us i suppose we didn't mind because we were chain smoking ourselves yeah but it was funny i was in belgrade at a conference there in november and i was down for breakfast and um, the smoking ban hasn't come in there you can still smoke in indoors and i looked over and there was a guy just after his breakfast having a cigarette and i was like what what the hell it, it just seemed so strange um but yeah i guess it's it's freedom of choice but um, but it, it, it's interesting as well the thing i'm very fascinated about and you probably do a lot of work in it in psychotherapy i, I do a lot of it in coaching is is the kind of getting to know yourself or know thyself did you have a good sense of who you were uh, kind of up to that point in time or was it a was it a I suppose a conjured up self I think I think it was a survivor you know survivor mentality I'd been through you know I went off to school at a very young age and my parents lived all over the world and and you know you learn how to look after yourself but you know, I think with a survivor mindset, it doesn't really, uh, it's not really about who you are and what's important to you or what is valuable. It's just always purely about survival. And um, so, no, I don't think I really did. I, I don't think I really had an interest. I think I might have known who I was, but I didn't take a particular interest in who I was or value. Mm. It seemed like some, oh, these are some qualities here that, uh, that probably make up who I am, but so what? Uh, I've got other um, fish to fry right now. Mm. And had you a goal? Uh, you talked about being successful and making lots of money. You like, did, at, what was the driving force? Did you have this big house in mind and X amount of millions in the bank that that were pushing you to this kind of lifestyle? 
Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I just... There was never anything definite, you know, a particular kind of house or a particular amount of money. But there was... Um, there was, it was a lifestyle I really wanted. I wanted to be free. I wanted the best of everything. I wanted to stay in good hotels and eat in good restaurants. And I thought if I had all of that, um, then surely I'd be happy. Mm. And did you, just interested, and I'll move more forward uh, rather than looking back too much, but was there ever any health scares that kind of made you have a wake-up call at all? Nothing like that came up? No, I've been very lucky all my life, actually. I mean, although I've, you know, somewhat burnt the candle at both ends, probably compared to most people at various points in my life, I've always been careful not to completely lose it. Um, you know, I, if you ask me what do, what do you really want to do tomorrow, if you could do anything, I'd get up tomorrow morning, I'd eat four donuts for breakfast. I swear to God I would. I love donuts. I'd eat four donuts for breakfast, follow it with a cup of coffee and, and a couple of cigarettes, and that would be by 9 o'clock, and I'd do that every morning. And in time, I would, you know, become a very large, very unhealthy person who would have a, a coronary at some point. So I'm able to control myself just about, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, actually, I do a pretty good job. I do a pretty good job. And running is, is a huge help, you know. It keeps the weight off. It keeps you feeling healthy and good. keeps you feeling motivated. So, I, so I, I, you know, I feel the energy to pursue things that feel important to me rather than just what immediately tastes delicious. Mm, very good. So talk to me about you started the two things you said psychotherapy and running one was probably more more men but the psychotherapy was helping you any any work you do in that space you do a lot of work on yourself uh, first i suppose um and the running although it's a physical activity the the mental benefits are, are massive as well so how those evolved over time some of the improvements you noticed and then maybe leading it into the the, the empathy running and you know, where I suppose the origins of the book came from. Yeah, uh, so the, the sort of timeline of it is I began both at the same time, the running and the psychotherapy. After about eight months or a year of therapy, I decided that it would be a career that I'd really like to pursue. I wasn't quite sure in, in what way. I was, I was very interested in it um, academically. And I thought, well, I don't know if I'll ever be a therapist but I certainly want to train in it, and, and maybe I can write a book one day. I, I may or may not be fit to be a therapist or, or, or enjoy being a therapist, but I think I would enjoy – I'd read many, many, many sort of self-help books, all the big ones already by that point. I always, I, I've always had a healthy level of curiosity about the human condition. Um, and so then I began training, as a, and I'm running all this time. I begin training, and – I, and I take, sort of cherry pick the best of what I learn over sort of six years of training as a therapist and get doing a master's in psychotherapy. Um, I cherry pick what I think is the best way to, to create uh, uh, my running therapy program. Uh, well, it's not a program. It's just regular therapy. Um, on my app, it's a program. Um, uh, so that's how it was born. Um, 
the empathy runs is something that came out of that. Um, it's I did uh, couples uh, counseling training um, as a sort of addition to my training. Um, and um, I learned some skills there, which, you know, we had to practice with people. And I learned some really valuable skills, uh, which felt to me, although simple, revolutionary about active listening and things like that. And so I put those two, and then I noticed all this sort of went to talks about empathy and, I, and, and empathy was starting increasingly to become a subject people were talking about. And I thought, let me see if I, there's a way I could put the running stroke walking together with, uh, with empathy and this sort of dialogue um, thing. I called it empathy runs or empathy walks. Um, and if anybody watch my, watches my TEDx, which is called uh, Movement is Medicine, um, there's a whole description of how you do an empathy run or walk, um, which I can tell you now if you're interested. Yeah, I'm just interested. You mentioned empathy becoming more mainstream. And when, when you've started talking with couples about empathy do you find that they actually have to figure out their own definition of what that is or, or do people really have a good grasp on what empathy means no i don't think people do and i think increasingly they don't you know empathy is a muscle that you need to practice um you need to exercise and you can and you can and it you know you can completely forget how it works but it's really about making space uh, for somebody else's opinion and recognizing that everybody's entitled to an opinion. And even if it differs and in your world their opinion is wrong or has no value, that, that agreement to value each other's opinions and ideas and give space to them, to share the stage of life, to share the power in a relationship, to uh, share everything is... Um, is at the heart of empathy, yeah. And you, from your experience, you find once couples start exploring what empathy means to each other and having a more conscious view of it, that that has a big impact straight off? Yes, but, uh, but it helps to, um, you know, when people are in a tough place, after a while in a relationship, you tend to sort of withdraw into your corner and your partner withdraws into their corner and you get sort of rigid in the way that you communicate and, you get so exhausted and that's the same argument you've been having for 25 years. Uh, it's learning how uh, in, in, in couples counseling, quite often what you're doing is teaching them a very specific model for dialoguing, which helps them uh, to escape this kind of regular tit-for-tat kind of thing and instead provides a structure which, uh, which forces uh, a different kind of communication. Mm. And and then with the runs, one of the things I do in coaching is um, what we call sometimes walk your timeline, where similar, I suppose, you have two people and one would, would both would go for a walk, one would talk for 10 or 15 minutes with a goal in mind for the future and the other person just listens and maybe says, is there any more kind of a Nancy Klein type terminology of just kind of continually getting them to open up? Yeah. With the running is a similar structure to it um, and, and just I find when I'm running if I'm running with my partner or whatever she doesn't want me to talk to her at all because she can't talk when she's running some people find it hard to actually talk when they're running so maybe just give us an outline of the the, uh, the model yeah okay so it's interesting you mentioned that the, the is there any more because that, that kind of laddering uh, 
is so valuable and giving somebody space. So it's, it's, it's very, very similar to that, except that um, in my model, I, I, I make it even more simple. Um, so uh, it's two people, whether it's walk or run, uh, you agree how long you're going to do it for 10 minutes, however long it is. It doesn't have to be exact. One starts talking um, and one does the listening. Um, and at the end of the 10 minutes, the listener reflects back very briefly one sentence. What I heard you talking about, you know, how difficult you're finding um, work at the moment or how joyful you're finding parenthood, whatever it is. And then you swap roles. But what's really, really important in this process uh, is giving somebody 10 minutes uninterrupted to talk about something, but also the freedom to talk about whatever they want to talk about so that it doesn't need to have a gravitas. And there's no sense of laddering. Um, we're not necessarily trying to get deeper. The deeper will, the deepness, if it's too happen, happens naturally. And I think that's a great thing about running is it it helps you get into a narrative flow. So all stories tend to go deeper anyway. And and sometimes it's a different kind of deepness than if you're sitting with somebody telling a story where it can feel just different. So it's more of a sort of unraveling and you sort of get to see where the story will take you. You don't have to direct it so much. Um, the other part that's incredibly important is that uh, – Unlike couples therapy, there's no sense that because uh, you can do this with friends or colleagues or whoever, there's no sense that you're trying to resolve anything. There's no sense that the person that's listening to you um, is has got to do something therein. In fact, it's the very opposite. You're talking freely in the absolute knowledge that the person who's listening understands that their job is in no way at any point to interpret, um, to uh, save or to explain or anything they don't have to do anything uh, and it's really important that they don't because obviously if i start talking about difficult things and and i'm worried about what your expectations are for yourself about how you're going to react to this and will it be too much for you or what will you say and then you know knowing that you don't you're not going to do any of that helps me just to talk freely and without that burden mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think it sounds like a great, great approach. And the 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 piece of, I suppose that sometimes you hear back if two friends are talking that the friend will instantly try and solve the problem very quickly, yes. and you need to kind of set that aside. The the other thing, Rob, is that uh, I was watching this TEDx, and I think I put it on my website the other day. It's a it's a guy that's done a TEDx about the importance of pausing. He says, you know, and, and I don't know if it's true. He quoted some piece of research that said there's something like 0.4 seconds is how long it takes normally one person to re- or to carry on the conversation from the last person or to reply to them. Uh, and that's because we're so ahead of ourselves, you know, preparing our answer that we don't really – and while it may further the um, the understood uh, mission, if you like, or focus of this conversation, um, um, and it might feel like it's expediting that, uh, the fact is that there's also a loss of, of of that human connection where you feel heard. And he said, you know, if you want to 
be more powerful and feel more present. He said, put that pause in just for a moment and it'll make the other person sound more, feel more heard. And it'll even give you a chance to think a little bit longer about what you want to say instead of, you know, always jumping ahead. And, and, and uh, what do you think about that? Mm. I think it's interesting. I know from, again, coaching, but even from doing interviews like this, um, providing that little bit of silence to allow you to talk a little bit more in my own mind sounds like forever even though when you listen back to it it's only a, f- a few seconds if if even so it's that that's a good learning for me that although it seems like I've given five seconds or whatever it might be less it's um it's always worse in your own mind but but it's uh it's something like you have to develop like like the muscle like that you know it's a habit as well do you have any approaches or advice for folks when they're trying to give that pause how do they develop it well you know (laughs) i've only just learned it myself rob and i really struggle with it i think i think you and i the kind of people who are going to struggle with it particularly perhaps because we're in the sort of solutions based world aren't we and that makes you think quite in quite a linear form. So you think, well, I'm, I, I've got the tools to get from A to B, and let's do this quickly and efficiently, because that's what I do. I learn how to do things quickly, efficiently, um, how to improve your, your uh, productivity by 8.5% in 12.5 minutes. <laughs> There's not much space for a pause in there, is there? Um, so, so there's a danger there of... Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I have a I have a mindfulness meditation practice that I use every day. Um, I don't think that really influences my pausing. I make sure as a therapist that I pause, or at least I try to. Uh, but yeah, I think I could probably pause better. I I think it's just practice, really. Yeah. No, that's it. It is, and it's. I, I have a, a similar daily practice as well, and. I think it has helped over the last few years in certain scenarios to just create that little bit of a space. Um, just as as the the practice as the empathy runs have was evolved and the f- feedback has been positive. How has it how has it grown? How, you know, how many people is it impacting now? What what is the overall feedback been like? Um, yeah, no, it's I get on both the. Uh, I get a lot of sort of stuff sent back to me because I've got so many different things out there. Uh, as I mentioned, or, you know, TEDx is an app and whatnot. I get various bits and pieces that come back to me and, um, it's always very positive. You know, I don't, I'm lucky in a way because what I'm advocating, what I work towards is so simple, right? Uh, in a way it's, it's using, um, your body to help, um, uh, find peace in the world uh, and using your body and your mind at the same time. And um, I think that's something that's very, uh, everybody has an understanding that, that on some, le- some level that could work for them. So it's, uh, in a way, it's quite an easy sell. It's, there are certain groups of people for whom it's not such an easy sell. I recognize that, you know. Um, and it might take those people a little bit longer, you know, people that are seriously depressed, for instance. It's really difficult for them to get out of their house. 
I knew that because I was there. Um, but that's one of the reasons why I chose running, because it was uh, something that I could be in the big park. There weren't too many people, and uh, it seemed doable. I knew the fresh air would be good for me. I knew I could go at a time I would decide worked for me. So while it wasn't easy, it was doable. And you, you, you've got to do, well, we're back to the beginning of this podcast, the incremental movements, you know. You do whatever you can. And uh, and you build you build on that, and uh, soon you've got a mountain in front of you, and you and you you're over that too, and then you're then it's easy sailing. Yeah, very good. <laughs> talk, talk to me a little bit about the book. Then have you a background in writing? Was that something you were really keen to do? Did it just emerge from from the work? Yeah, like I said, I think I was always keen. I'd, I'd read so many sort of self help books, so you know. The road less traveled things are like power of now. All these all these books. Um, so I always wanted to con- contribute something. And um, Penguin, I approached Penguin through an agent, and I said, you know, I think I've got this great subject. Uh, it's built around mindful running, but also it's going to be a program that helps anybody. There's a set of questions, and you go to your chapter on depression, or go to the chapter on anxiety, and run that particular program. Um, which is a series of questions, and then you fill out the answers in the book. And while it's not the same as one-on-one therapy, uh, I think that the questions are well-focused. And if you do that in combination with moving, I think you'll, make a, you'll, you'll move the dial, seriously. Uh, and that's, the app does the same thing. You can run while listening to me and recording answers on your phone while I talk to you and ask you questions about your depression or about your anxiety. Or there's stuff on there on mindful running as well and, and mindful walking and just basic meditation. Mm, very good. Did you, the process of writing the book, did you find that a, a, an enjoyable one? Was that something you could get lost in as well? Did it kind of give you an outlet? Yeah, I think so. You know, it, in a way, it was a nice to get a chance to put down in words what I'd been carrying around in my head for quite some time and to see it written up. Yeah, no, it, was a, I, it felt good, to be honest, because up until then, I was, you know, a, a solo practitioner. Very good. So I guess just where you're at now in life, how do you how do you manage you know, keeping the, the depression at bay, keeping yourself in a good place. Is it, is it still that daily practice of, of running other, other tools that you use to, to keep in a good spot? Well, my life's very different, Rob, from before, you know, I, I really, I'm doing a job that I enjoy. I, my own boss, um, I have a running practice now that I didn't before, uh, which is fantastic. I live a much healthier lifestyle. I have all these little things that I I, I like working towards. Um, so yeah, my life is my life is much better now. I must say. Do you feel you're living an authentic life now? Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, my new book, uh, which is, I say my new book. I, it's just gone out to ten different publishers, so we'll find out whether it gets commissioned. But the second half of it is all about authenticity. Um, it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about. It's sort of been my life's work in a way. Uh, it's such an interesting one. Authenticity is, um, yes, I do is is, in, in a nutshell. Um, I really do. And even this book, you know, I found myself trying to write a book that would get published 
And in so doing, I became less and less authentic about what I wanted to say and what mm. felt important to me. And then in the end, and I found myself <laughs> writing about authenticity in a completely inauthentic way. And I realized that actually I didn't want, I was really uncomfortable with that. And I don't want success for the sake of success. I want success in a way that feels valuable to me. And I would rather the book not be published uh, and be real and, and be about what I believe in than be a huge success and, and, and just be, you know. So, yeah, I do. How about you? Do you feel authentic? Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, that's something I've been grappling with for a while. Over the last three or four years, I've been living much more to that but i still didn't really know what the definition was for me um about just over the last month or so i said right i'm just going to put together um just what it what it means to me so i published a, just an article on the website last week um and i did a podcast kind of voiceover of it as well so you can check it out um i was kind of what i just distilled it down to was four different things that that makes me feel that's what authentic is to me so um yeah it's a fascinating topic and it's an evolution as well can we hear those four things yeah absolutely so the, there would be self-acceptance so it's kind of really accepting who i am for for what i am and not kind of dwelling on the past or, or giving myself a hard time about certain things that i did or did not do um self-awareness which is really about kind of becoming more aware knowing myself knowing what um what triggers me positively or negatively um being vulnerable i think is is important um like in work and in, in certainly in, in leadership i see a lot of people saying what you think what they want you to think they're about and and you can kind of see through it i, I find i came up with the term authentometer it's kind of like uh, to see if somebody has a high level or a low level <laughs> of authenticity and uh and being vulnerable and being open to it, being just who you are is important. And then the last one is just kind of continually kind of tweaking, enjoying the journey and figuring it out as you go, that it's never just that's it for good. That's that's where it's at. That's, you know, it's never a final definition. It's one that has a bit of fluidity to it. Um, so those are the kind of four things that stand out for me as I kind of reflected on it. Um, and And by putting it out there, I felt good about it because I I wasn't doing it to seem authentic. I was doing it because what it meant to him, to me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I relate to a lot of that. My my book has, uh, if it gets published, has a very similar um, thing in it. There's lots of stuff in there about uh, self acceptance, about self awareness, about acknowledging is a big one for me, and and how these things all lead to authenticity. Yeah. But I like your vulnerability piece. I'm a big uh, fan of Brené Brown along with everybody else. And I think, I don't know about you, but as a man, you know, vulnerability doesn't necessarily come that naturally. Uh, I think as men, we've got a lot to learn in that department. Yeah. And, and I think, well, what I find as well, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm okay talking about it. What prevents me sometimes talking about it is the thought of people thinking you're talking about it for the sake of talking about it you know and it's kind of that little internal battle that sometimes come up but um but no look best of luck i'm looking forward to seeing if that book gets published uh we share similar t t thoughts on the topic which is good 
So, William, look, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, maybe if you can just give a shout out how folks can get in touch with your website, with your app, and maybe follow and get the book. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they can, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I'm at dynamicrunningtherapy.com. My app is called Dynamic Running Therapy for Apple. My TEDx is called Movement is Medicine. Um, if you Google that with my name, William Pullen, P-U-L-L-E-N. The book is called Run for Your Life. And uh, I think that's everything. Yeah, that's a great title for the book, by the way. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> There's quite a few of them out there. Actually, I forgot my uh, social media uh, on Instagram, I'm D underscore running therapy. On Twitter, I'm at Pullen Therapy. Very good. I put all that into the, the notes of the episode when it comes Thank out, you. William. Um, look, it was great chatting Thank to you. you. I, I, and you. I like uh, like your story. I like learning from, from people like yourself. Um, and yeah, look forward to staying in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob. Have a great day. Have a good one, William. Thank you. Thank you. Take Cheers, care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Hey guys, just before you go, I'd love to hear from you if anything specific stood out from that episode, something you might take away and try and implement in your own personal or professional life to help make you that little bit better. On the other side, is there anything you think I could do better to make the show even more enjoyable, more impactful and maybe meaningful? So drop me a note, rob at robofthegreen.ie or connect in on any of the social platforms at robofthegreen. We also have a community on Facebook check that out if you're really enjoying the show maybe you could try and leave a rating or a review on iTunes Apple Podcasts app go in there give us a rating let us know how we're doing that'll help with the ranking of the podcast up those charts the more folks that potentially see it because we're high up the better the more that might listen that never heard of it before and the goal of the show is to try and reach more and more people and have that impact more and more so that's down to you please do help me with that i'm not going down the route of hiring podcast promoters quote unquote from other parts of the world because they say they can help with the ranking and i don't really believe them or it's not very authentic help me do it in an authentic way i'd really appreciate it this year i'm going more all in on patreon so it's three bucks a month you can sign up subscribe to rob of the green on patreon.com that will give you access to patreon only content nearly all the episodes of the 864 podcast are on there and new ones will be added only there the one percent better show will have early releases there but will still come out for free on rob of the green.ie there'll also be live shows this year some phone-in shows extra content three euros a month will hopefully the more folks that subscribe allow me to do more and more stuff on there add more and more content at the end of the day that's the price of a pair of socks maybe that you might lose or a coffee one way or the other it's up to you if you want to join you'll see get free stuff otherwise but if you're enjoying what we're doing help us grow help us expand it i'd really appreciate that adding new stuff onto the website all the time there's an affiliates page under the be better drop down check in there there's training courses that you can sign up to more and more stuff will come in over time into season three now of this fun fun journey huge learning hopefully you're getting something from it too stick with it let's keep going enjoy the journey even more have a great day week weekend and thanks for checking it out good luck